The Kinky Boys Podcast. Exploring one kink at a time. Okay. Hello, welcome to the Kinky Boys podcast. Um, I'm Craig, and today we have a very special um, guest. He's an author. Now, if you've never heard of superhero fetish, it's time you met author Pablo Green, who's the leading the, the, the genre with his four book series, How to Kill a Superhero. The series has been a hit with fans of gay men's erotica, as well as fantasy and sci-fi. How to Kill a Superhero has been featured on International Mr. Leather, Southeast Black and Blue, the Leather Archives Museum, Darts Domain Podcast, No Safe Word Podcast, and The Ropecast. The first two books, available now, and book three, titled Transformation Fetish, will be released late 2015. Pablo lives in New York City, and for more information, you can visit his website at howtokillasuperhero.net. Hello, Pablo. Hey, thank you so much for inviting me. Glad to be here. That's great. Hey, I'm I'm really glad to have you on as a guest. I mean, I'm a big fan of your works generally, so <laughs> to be able to talk to you about it um, is a really good thing for me. So yeah, um, let's talk about with talk about your book series. Sure, <clears throat> I um, I realize for many many folks this will be the first time they're hearing about it, <clears throat> but um, like you said at the top of the the intro, it's it's a series of four books. Yeah, so it's um, so you've had the uh, first two out. Uh, yes, uh, the first two are out. But uh, like I said, when we when we um, worked on with my publisher on book one, which is titled A Gay Bondage Manual, mm -hmm. uh, it was pretty evident that the story was a little bit bigger than just a quick uh, episode in a person's life, in, t in a kinky person's life. And so uh, <clears throat> it is a full series of, of four books, and I'm about to release the third one. And let me tell the, your listeners very simply what, what it's about. It's, um, sure. it's about a um, young man. I guess he is a young man. He's, he starts out at uh, the age of 28 in the book. Mm -hmm. And he is a nurse in Kansas City in the United States. And he runs into a book, an occult book, <laughs> that uh, makes changes happen in his body. Uh, some people call these superpowers in the book, there changes. And while he's doing this, he also meets the perfect person at a, at a bar, at a dance club. Uh, this person initiates him into the world of leather, bondage, mm -hmm. and kink in general. Uh, however, uh, th this person may not be the best person for him to, to date as he's going through these changes. And so uh, as these superpowers are emerging in uh, Roland, our main character, um, he also has to balance out his his actual life. He loves his job, and he has no interest in being a superhero, um, but yet these things call out to him. So uh, it, it's a really interesting mix. It's, a, it's an adventure book. It is also an erotica book. And then at its very, very core, it's a very interesting fantasy sci-fi kind of book. Yeah, I mean... One of the things that really grabbed me about it, you said about him having to balance these supernatural changes with his um, regular life. One of the things I loved is you went a bit into the psychology of having, going through this enormous physical and mental change so fast. It, I mean, it always brought to mind the scene out of the 
first Spider-Man movie where Tobey Maguire wakes up after being bitten by the spider and looks in the mirror and he suddenly has a six-pack that wasn't there the previous morning. Uh-huh. And you go further into this exploring like what psychological impact that would have on a person just suddenly their body completely changing and you not recognizing your own reflection. Oh, it's um it's powerful. It's uh we experience it in life the the first and biggest way in puberty, right? Where where our body is doing things we cannot control. There's hair, we're growing, we look different, our voices sound different. Um but it doesn't end there. I think for a lot of people, um, there's other changes that happen in life, and you you nailed it. It's both psychological and mental, but also physical. And in this particular series, uh, that element of the superpower, the changes, the transformation, is is really key. He um, these accelerate and they go beyond his control. And I think it's really interesting to go deep into that psychology because some of it's very dark. And some of it's also very positive, uh, depending on how you look at it. And I think that's what makes Roland a very interesting character, because he has to sort of travel between sort of that darker side of the transformation and then positive ways to embrace it. Yeah, it's... um... Yeah, I mean, in my real-life experience, I've talked to a few people who have had um, transformation fetishes, and one person wanted um, to be basically made over into a skinhead and what surprised me was the psychological effect it had he was clearly having to do a loss of mental processing after it finished and he finally got to look in the mirror so it's really good how you can capture that now shall we talk a bit about the world around things there's no real superheroes in this world not <laughs> not one. one yeah um so I I knew I wanted to write this type of story since a long time ago, and um, what I did not want to do was to generate a world that has an existing pantheon of heroes. Uh, that has been done many times, uh, anywhere from Watchmen with Alan Moore all the way through DC and mm-hmm. Marvel and Indies. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that the superhero fetish itself, every, well, I'm not going to say every, but many people do wish they could be superheroes. I thought, what if that were to actually happen? And then there's no real context in the real world of, of having these. This has been done by other people before. So the, the movie Unbreakable covers this, etc. cetera. Uh, but in my case, <clears throat> what is interesting to me is that Roland is, uh, fighting these powers, right? And Mm -hmm. at the same time, he has a very deep knowledge of the comic books that came before him. So he's, he's read all the classics. He, he knows them inside out. And so he visits some of those and they do uh, inform sort of some of his actions, what he might do, because not only does he know the comics really well, but he also dreams about them. So dreams are kind of a big part of the series where in the dreams, he can actually interact sometimes, uh, with figures that look like the superheroes from the comic books, but the actual world or the universe that he lives in doesn't have a single superhero, which makes it hard for him. He He's a bigger freak than any of the other freaks <laughs> on the planet. Yeah. And so uh, while most people would think, oh, well, you know, you become a superhero, you just start doing stuff and put on some tights and fight. Um, it would be actually be, yeah, there would be actually be a lot more shame involved. Yeah. And he actually uh, fights a lot of feelings of shame. Yeah, I mean, I really, I mean, I could bring up specific examples, but I don't really want to spoil it in the book 
the book for listeners i will just say go read it um but yeah i mean one thing that really grasped me about your book as as erotica it's really high quality <laughs> thank you which you know no there around erotic literature there's a certain expectation it's going to be quite corny or very by the numbers you seem to avoid that and really construct some brilliant sex scenes now do you have a way to do that you know i've I've been asked this a couple of times before on other podcasts and uh and interviews too and i think the best way i can describe it is that uh, to me less is more you know when you go to see a magic show uh you know you pay your ticket and you see david copperfield or penn and teller uh well they're a little different but because they reveal the trick but um when you do that uh there's there's a bit of an illusion that happens there and so you're being shown just enough to get your juices flowing to get your imagination going but in fact, uh, it may not be as explicit or as uh, cliche and formulaic as it normally is, because I really do think the readers do a better job of imagining it. And so uh, they, there's plenty of details in those sex scenes. Uh, but to me, they're very much focused on the point of view of the character. You know, in, in the case of this series, uh, most of the sex scenes are Roland's. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> He's, he is a fetishist at heart, and I've noticed that in some books, some other novels, uh, sex seems to just sort of be this sort of uh, idyllic, universal kind of concept of, you know, you go through these steps and there's sex. But for a fetishist, it's actually really different. You're, you're always, it's a trio. You're having sex with the person that you're having sex with, but then you're also having sex with this third partner, which is the actual fetish, like the object of your fetish. And uh, I thought it was interesting to, to write them that way because uh, I'm a fetishist myself and uh, I don't consider my fetishes like an, a whole extra person, but they're definitely part of that. It's a trio. It's like a big oh, yeah. triangle. They definitely um, add this um, very emotional, primordial dimension to a lot of sex. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I work really hard at those scenes and I try to, uh, as much as possible, break out of the conventions and the formulas and just make them true to Roland. Uh, those sex scenes are not exactly what I would want. It's they're actually what he is pursuing in those in those stories. And um, let's get a bit into the fetishes that are featured in your books. Um, first up is the biggest one, which is superheroes. Yeah. I mean, I take it that's one you've had for, that's one of your own personal fetishes, I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> Bingo. Yeah. Uh, there's there's no denying that the whole, the first book and the whole series sprang from my own personal experience with superhero fetish, uh, something that I think was there very deep since I was a young person before we had online communities. But uh, because I came of age with the internet, um, I realized over time that there were a lot of people who seemed to fetishize superheroes, their costumes, their athleticism, even their superpowers. And um, I felt... I felt very freakish for for a long time, and uh, part of writing this series was kind of a political act uh, to say, you know, this fetish is more than okay, and not only 
are there communities out there? We need to uh, develop art that brings it up to that level where, where people really take it seriously. And in my books, I really take superhero fetish seriously uh, from all angles. Uh, there's some pl playfulness sometimes in it, but uh, for people who have the fetish, I try to make that be as true to myself uh, as can be, because I think that's where the books start to resonate with people. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to delve a little more into it as um, you spend a lot of time focusing on the costumes as they relate to the characters, the fictional characters you've created as like in that world's comic book history. Yes. And you talk about their character and their archetype and how that fits into the scenes when the character's wearing their costumes in mm -hmm. a superhero fetish scene. Um, what is it about the superhero costume? Not just spandex, but an actual superhero costume that has a connection for you. Um, it functions on two levels. It's a, let, me, let me first say it's a deep connection. It's intellectual, emotional, and almost almost metaphysical. And the, the connection it has is that, <clears throat> at least in how we grew up with uh, comic books and superheroes from the 20th century, because it's really a phenomenon of the 20th century, okay. uh, the way they were drawn, which was how it first started, it is uh, such a resplendent display of the human body. Um, before any of us have access to pornography as young people, we have a lot of access to comic books. And I recall looking at them for a long time before I even knew I was gay. I was looking at the the characters and the, the musculature and their big butts and <laughs> big crotches. And and uh, they were handsome and beautiful and something to aspire to. So so the, the costume itself, when you actually bring that into the present and uh, you fetishize a person wearing it, or you put it on yourself, it is a deep connection to the human body uh, that just, it's like, a, it's as if you took dynamite and you put it under your imagination and you just blew it up into bits. Uh -huh. It just it just makes your imagination run wild. And so um, that's that's one. And then um, number two, uh, it, as, as it connects to the actual characters, uh, that, that's another layer that's really interesting. It, because we grew up with these characters, we, we, we tend to think of them as people that we know as well as our brother and sister. So everybody knows Spider-Man's personality. We know what Doctor uh -huh. Doom is like. We know what Superman is like. We know what Magneto is like. And um, there's a mystery of why we respond to certain characters. And so for some people, like I can tell you, I love Doctor Strange. I love Superman. I love Spider-Man. Those are some of my favorites. Uh, I love Mystique. And each person has a different one, but mm -hmm. when you put the, the superhero costume in a sexual context as a as an object of of a obsession, right, of our gaze, then it, it gets you deeper into, I guess, parts of your personality that you think are there within you or that you want to achieve or become. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a it's really interesting. I mean, on those two levels, it's a it's extremely. Uh, enticing and attractive to to go after these costumes and uh to me you know there's other fetishes that are interesting and hot like leather is great yeah uh, doctor uh uniforms are great cop uniforms are great uh i love those i fetishize some of those mm -hmm. but uh nothing comes close enough to the superhero costume which is so sexualized and so bright and colorful that's the other thing i love about them they they really um 
they seem to manifest the, the beauty of the natural world in a way that black leather doesn't do. Yeah, it's, this is something I've very much noticed is in the leather community and fetish community, everything is black and gray as it's meant to be more masculine and right. harder and more aggressive as it were. But so it's great to get away from that every so often and see the bright, the impressive, the dramatic. Yeah. So, yeah, and uh, and there's uh, it's interesting. You could talk to scientists and artists about color theory, and uh, <clears throat> you know shades of black and shades of gray are um, things that you blend in with colors, right, to to achieve different effects and and moods. But it's the actual primary colors and their secondary effects that um, really are the ones that carry the most emotion. So while most people would think that black is powerful and uh, masculine, there's actually other colors that people respond to that make them also feel masculinity and power and uh, a dynamic sort of sense. And so, uh, for example, blue is one of those colors that people respond to, but we don't see a lot of Leathermen in full blue regalia, uh, while we do see Superman and Spider-Man wearing the blue. So I think there's just interesting contradictions um, mysteries in themselves of the colors but um as a fetishist uh again i i do love the color black it's actually one of my favorites but the range of expression that one gets from putting on a superhero costume is uh really interesting i think it goes deeper oh yeah i i do think the fetish community is starting to embrace more color especially in the rubber mm -hmm. fetishists i agree i have several friends that work at fetish shops like where they manufacture their own stuff and they keep getting specialist orders for very specific colors for rubber which is great because you go to these events and suddenly everyone's in you know primary blues primary greens like you said and it has this much more dramatic effect yeah and i think it allows people to really express who they are you know that some people do believe that a certain color describes them. And I think that's cool. Now, I'm going to challenge myself. I'm trying to think, do I actually wear the my favorite colors uh, based on, on like fetish wear that I like? And I guess that would be mostly true. My, my, my favorite colors tend to be uh, black and blue. Um, but there's also some others like red and green. And I guess I do do that uh, for your followers and listeners on the show. Um, I, I'm on Instagram and I have a Tumblr and I post a lot of pictures of myself in cosplay with the costumes. Uh, and so I'm actually pulling them up right now. And I think, I think I'm wearing more colors than just one single color. So uh, <laughs> I encourage people to check it out and see what that, what that means. I think that's, that's really interesting, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think uh, there's lots to explore for sure with that element of the superhero costume as a, as a fetish object. Oh yeah. I yeah, it. I mean, I'm just going to relate um, one of my own stories with it, which is um, the first time I tried on a superhero costume. Ooh. It was a photo shoot with friends, and we brought several items of gear each, and they let me try on their Superman costume. Mm -hmm. And it was a very interesting experience psychologically. Mostly just because I immediately started pulling the classic Superman pose of chest puffed out, hands on the hips, looking skyward, looking skyward. And it was also, if I, I, I'm kind of nervous about admitting, but I love the drama of the cape. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it, it really uh, Superman in particular. Um, th- there's something that it, it does. I've never seen a person not react with it when they try it on, whether it's in a sexual or non-sexual context, something happens just like that. <laughs> uh, unless they've never heard of the character, then, then, then there's no reference and they just sort of go, Oh, okay. I guess I'm wearing blue pajamas, but, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, um, I mean, for myself too, the first time I ever put one on a Superman costume in particular, uh, it was just a very intense experience. It was like, not just reliving a lot of the comics and the movies, but also sort of like being inside that skin of Superman. People, you feel like you have some of that in you. And I think uh, that's amazing. And that's, that's probably the same as like the Leatherman um, costume and, and fetish. It's, you know, you feel like an, a deeper masculinity. Um, but in Superman's case, it, I don't know. It's just wonderful. Like when people do that, <laughs> that's, I'm glad that happened to you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I mean, it's a very, powerful and easily recognized archetype that superman sort of embodies although talking about other fetishes now i've been a comic book um fan for a very long time and as i began to explore the leather scene it did feel when i got changed into like my leather gear to go to a club it did relate in my head about that secret identity thing mm-hmm where you take off one set of clothes, you put on another, and you go do something that society knows nothing about. Yeah. And it's always drawn in very interesting parallel to me that it is basically a secret identity. It's multiple parallels. I think the first one starts for us as as gay, trans, queer, lesbian people. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we're in the closet, if we start from the closet... Um, we, we feel like there's two faces, two identities, and we, we cannot always reconcile them. There's a place for each sort of role. And then if we come out as kinky later on, it's happening again. And um, the fetish community ha- has that. Uh, but what's interesting about when you compare it to this extra parallel of the, the superhero costume, it's built into the stories. And so it, it makes perfect sense that we as uh, LGBT people really respond to the X-Men and uh, the struggles of Spider-Man, Superman, because we, we really know about that dual identity. So um, it, it's it's pretty cool because um, it allows us a, a window of escape, right, where we can hopefully become ourselves. And maybe at some point we even integrate uh, everything into one. Um, one of the things that um, is really important to me in the series, this this just happened. I didn't write it in uh, myself. It just it says okay. if the character told me to do it, um, Roland, um, I'm not going to spoil too much, but this is sort of a semi-spoiler, everybody, so you can maybe skip the next 30 seconds. But uh, at the point at which his superpowers are so evident that he has to do something with them, uh, and he might maybe you know, you know do sort of superhero-esque things, um, he decides not to ever take on a superhero name so that he would leave his former name behind as the alter ego. He combines it all into one. So even when he has these superpowers and he's more visible to the world, he's just Roland. And uh, that was really important um, in the series. I think it makes him who he is. But uh, I I think that's, that's interesting. As gay people, uh, let's say we're kinky, and then we have sort of our work context or whatever. We always yeah, generally becomes... carry one name, but, but there, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we have a, a, a you know, some people have a pup name or a surname, whatever. So um, I don't know. It's it's an endless uh, place to sort of explore human identity. 
Yeah, and you've um, put quite a lot of effort into connecting with people and sort of building a bigger community around it. I mean, especially I've seen a lot on your feed about um, IML and events. You host a superhero party, those into it, and you really put a lot of effort into trying to basically build a bigger community around it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. <clears throat> that um, I never thought I would really um, end up doing that. It only happened when the book started coming out, and I started getting messages on Tumblr and emails and tweets from people who said, you know what, your book spoke to me, and I didn't realize that my fetish could be valid. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I said, you know, I take it seriously. But then I realized, you know, I actually go to events. I go to IML. I go to come. Sorry, I didn't. Um, and that, just repeat that. It um, blanked out for a second there. Oh no, yeah. Um, I'll take it again from the top. So, yeah, as um, as I got more responses from people about the books, telling me you validated my fetish, I thought, well, why don't we get people together at different events, fetish or sort mm -hmm. of comic book events? So, um, every couple of months lately, we we do the superhero fetish mm -hmm. meetup. Uh, we did one in D.C. this year for MAL. We did one in uh, Chicago for IML. We had our first New York one just recently. And we have another one coming up this month in New York. And um, I encourage all cities to have them. I don't even need to be at them. I would like to be at all of them. But uh, I want that community to grow because uh, it's – I really do feel it integrates very nicely with the rest of the kink community. But it's mm -hmm. not always recognized. And uh, – we have a lot of fun, and we're really nice people. Oh, yeah. I mean, because I try and focus on the English and London leather community, I um, we have a night like that called um, Heroes, which mm -hmm. is at the Backstreet Bar. So I'll leave details in the show notes for that for uh, any of our English viewers looking to get into the superhero community, but I do suggest you start with Roland's site and his um like um Tumblr feed and Instagram and <laughs> YouTube because they're great places to start and get into this. You mean Pablo, right? Yes, you yes, said, sorry. You said Roland. <laughs> 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 oh man. Mm -hmm. Uh I'm I, I think there's years worth of uh therapy right there in yeah. that um, <laughs> in that uh, little flub. Uh but uh, yeah, the Pablo yeah. Green's uh, Instagram feed, my my Tumblr, uh my website. It's all there and um like I said, we, we try to, you know, just spread the word and it's super friendly. We don't, you don't have to have a really fancy costume. You don't have to have mega cosplay level stuff. Uh, you just need to love superheroes in that way <laughs> and show up. <laughs> yeah. And we usually just have a few beers at a bar. Uh, here in New York City, we, we do it at the Eagle. And um, mm -hmm. it's great fun because when we're standing there, there's usually, you know, a good handful of us. Then people come up to us and they go, oh, my God, you guys look amazing. And so it's a really great icebreaker to meet other dudes. And um, it just feels good. So, uh, yeah, I uh, go check out the pictures, everybody, and send me a message. Oh, cool. Uh, that's really great. Um, now, moving on, while I still have time, to the other major fetish which is in the book, which is the transformation fetishes, sure. which is... I believe the title of the third book in in of itself. Yeah, the, um, we have the full set of titles for the whole series. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about those, and then we'll talk about uh, transformation fetish. Uh, sure. Book book one is uh, a gay bondage manual. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really the origin story, and uh, it's 
titillating because it's a gay bondage manual. <laughs> then uh, <laughs> book two was called uh, World Without Daylight. Uh, and that's in reference to sort of a, a sub's role. You know, usually you're blindfolded yeah. and there's no light. Um, and book three is Transformation Fetish. It comes out this fall. And the last book in the series, which will be the end of the series, is called Gold. So uh, that that's the full set of books right there. Uh, but Transformation Fetish is called exactly that because we're going deeper into what that means. Um, the books start with Roland transforming. But he's not the only character that transforms, and we use it both literally in the series, but also as a metaphor. And uh, we're going to discover more secrets about the book that allows him to transform. That book is called The Golden Man. And so uh, it's a great title for the for book three. <clears throat> and uh, we're not just going to learn more about Roland's powers, but there's other characters who have this ability. And... Uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but uh, you're free to ask me anything. I'll give you any teasers, and I promise your listeners I'm not going to spoil the story for you. Uh, but, but since you've read uh, books one and two, I definitely encourage you to just ask away about book three because there's a lot of new surprises. Ooh, where do I start? Okay, I'm going to try and keep this as vague and spoiler-free as possible. <laughs> okay. Does that character from book one reappear in book three? Oh, okay. So let let me um let me put this in a very uh, spoiler-free but exciting <laughs> way um, for people who are listening. If you haven't checked out the books, go get them now. <laughs> they're on Amazon. <laughs> they're in the Kindle store. They're available in 13 countries, uh, especially on Kindle. You get the most reach. But um, in book one, uh, Roland has a very unique dynamic with one major character, and um, I've been getting that question since book two came out. Will that character come back? People are obsessed with that character. Uh, I can tease and say, yes, there is the return of a very special person in uh, book three in Transformation Fetish, uh, which uh, interestingly takes place in New York City. So the series, as uh, those of you who have read it would, would know, uh, kind of goes all around the world. Uh, Roland's gone from the US to Europe all the way out to Australia. But in book three, we actually come all the way back to um, to the US, to New York City. So there will be a very special surprise uh, when they re-encounter themselves. Oh, wow. That, that, that is something I'm very eager to read about. <laughs> <laughs> Good, yeah. It's, yeah. it's exciting to write it. Um, and emotional. Oh, I, I bet. Because would... I'm worried tell you what i'll put a big spoiler warning in and in the show notes tell them where to skip over but um <laughs> was it your intention to make him a villain of the series uh very interesting so <clears throat> spoiler alert spoiler alert uh scrub past this part if you <laughs> don't want to know but um should i mention the name do you think uh no let's keep it vague so people won't yeah, know until they read. um you know, uh, what, what listeners should know is that I, despite everything that happens in my books, I actually don't consider the villains to be villains, and I don't consider the good guys to be good guys. They're they're actually more human than that. And so uh, <clears throat> in book one, that character definitely takes on uh, an antagonistic role and has some twists, some reveals that like make him not such a great person. But uh, we get to see more depth in book three. And some things have happened since book one all the way into two. And um, 
my intention is to to reveal as much of him as I can so that the reader can make up their mind as to whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. That sounds very good. I'm always interested in basically complex antagonists because I think in a lot of ways antagonists make the story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's um <clears throat> we'll definitely get more of that. And then there's there's another character from book 2 um who for sure, for those listening, if you've read it, uh, is definitely much more of a for real antagonist, kind of a bad guy. But even with that, it's a, there's a different approach to it so that um, the, the reader is not obsessed with uh, thinking of the story in terms of good and bad. Because as, as you know, Roland struggles himself with making the right choices. So sometimes we're not even sure if, if he's the good guy. Uh, although, you know, he generally makes some pretty decent choices. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I get the impression, I mean, you don't have to answer this, that that's building up something, especially with the dream sequences from number two, that it hints at something to do with Roland's destiny about heroes and villains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, you've, you've definitely picked up on it. Um, the dream sequences are really important. Uh, most of my books have very strong images that are in, in and out of the dream sequences. And so uh, people can pick up on, on different ideas that are kind of swirling around in there. And uh, we will explore that. So um, I'm really excited for people to read book three. I think it, uh, it's different. And there's a, there's a whole new cast of characters. I think uh, book two uh, felt a little desolate for people because it's meant to be desolate. <laughs> Roland spends a journey mostly kind of on his own for a while, but book three uh, brings some favorite characters back and introduces a whole bunch of new ones in a place that's very dense with people, which is New York City. So uh, it should be a very interesting turn in the series. Cool. And any others that we may have briefly seen in the first book making a reappearance? Yeah, there's one more, uh, <laughs> but it's going to, it might spoil things, but uh <sighs> You know, for those of you listening, if you're if you're a really fucking kinky person, did did you ever have a friend who got you into the kink who who was basically like, We're friends, like let me show you my porn collection or like let me show you my rubber mask or whatever, no big deal. Uh-huh. Um yeah. yeah, if if you know if you can relate to that, there's a character who who enables that in the series who we're gonna see again in book three. Cool. <laughs> That's Very all I cool. can say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely look forward to it. So, yeah, what is it about transformations that you wanted to put into your book? And we've already gone through the psychology of it. What, what, what as a sexual drive is it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so this is really kind of a, at the heart mm-hmm. of the series. Uh, this is something that goes much further back than myself or the 20th century or comic books. If you go all the way back to uh, legends and myths from cultures like the Aztecs, the Maya, um, the Greek myths, there's many transformations that happen in there, and uh, they're usually done by the gods. The gods transform into other Uh things, into other creatures, but there's sex involved. And uh, I, I'm not an anthropologist, and I, we do not know what people thought of this in the past. But uh, we do know that men made up the myths that people believed. And to combine sex with a transformation, and sometimes animal transformation, um, is powerful. It's something that we're still doing today. <laughs> and so uh, 
I, I wanted to just go a little deeper with that because I think in our new internet connected world, which I really like, uh, it's more evident to me than ever before how much people deeply desire to become something else. And I don't mean forever. And I don't mean that they want to mutilate their body um, or get surgery. Sometimes they do. But uh, people really do want to step out of their skin and become something else uh, at different points. And that charge, that fetish, um, is just so interesting. I think I, I can't speak for animals, but I think maybe the apes, us, maybe we're the only things that that do that, uh, the only creatures on this planet that do that. And so uh, I thought, let's let's go and explore that uh, because comic books and superheroes lend themselves to that uh, and they draw from the old archetypes anyway, from the, the myths. But uh, let's put it in a real world context where we have people who are bodybuilders and want to become bigger. Some people want to get liposuction. Some people want to become a piece of furniture. That's a real mm-hmm. fetish. Uh, people want to become dogs as in the pup community so let's go there and uh i thought it would be really great and i i love writing about it yeah i i do find the transformation thing very powerful because in some ways it can be an escape you basically get to step out of your either boring or stressful or weary life and for a few minutes hours you get to basically put on a new identity for a while and that can be a very powerful thing a liberating thing and Mm -hmm. uh one of the deepest transformation fetishes uh, the sources of that that we can talk about are uh reading books i recall um going to the public library in chicago around the time i was like 13 and i picked up the witches of eastwick which is a, a book that was probably a little too sexually advanced for me at that age, but I read it. Uh, it's, a, it's a novel by John Updike, and uh, it has some really strong sexual scenes, and uh, th- there was something about reading that that put me in the place of that middle-aged man and the, these witches that he was having sex with, uh, and that's just one example. Uh, Clyde Barker books have done that for me, many, many books, and uh, when you read, you do transform into these other things. When we read, we become Harry Potter uh, during the, you know, that, those two hours that we sit down yeah. and read, and so um, to externalize that and try to make that fun in the real world and have sex with transformation fetishes... Um, it's it's not a secret, everybody. Like lots of people are doing this, so uh, I think it's 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 a perfect place to kind of explore it with the series. Uh, but I also know a lot of people in the community who who share these fetishes. They they branch into different places, but uh, it, it's everywhere. Oh yeah, and something I find very interesting about the physical aspect of the change when you put on a physical change. It ties very much into something I've been noticing. I've read, um, I can't remember the author, but it was a book called um, Gym Boy Culture. And it was literally examining the role of um, the gym and cultures in the book. And one thing it brought up is for the last four decades or so, well, pretty much since the birth of commercialized gay porn, Porn stars have been putting on more and more muscle. Mm-hmm. And this is a trend that's, you know, just continued and continued and not dropped at all. And it seems like in today's world, we're cons- 
especially in media icons, you know, the leading men have to be absolutely ripped and huge. I mean, you look at The Rock's diet. He's pretty much become his own thing, The Rock diet, where you see mm-hmm. him with the pictures, him cutting into a knee-high stack of pancakes just so he can maintain that look. And especially in the gay community with porn, it's really becoming imperative that people are huge and huge and huge. And there's this sort of societal thing going on. I mean, I remember from a documentary, it had compared the original Star Wars figure of Luke Skywalker um, with the modern day one. Mm-hmm. And Mark Hamill, when he looked at the two figures compared, is like, my God, they put my character on steroids for the modern one. <laughs> And they have. Um, I, I think so, those those elements of what's going on currently for both men and women, uh, they're problematic. Uh, they, oh, yeah. They, they cause a lot of um, problems with identity and self-image. And there's a technology issue uh, with with those elements of the culture where, um, you know, classically, we've always known that lifting heavy things will make you more muscular and eating more will make you more muscular, but there's a limit. And we've, we've figured out with drugs how to go beyond that limit. Um, and so when we see the rock eating those pancakes, um, yes, he takes very good care of himself. He works out a ton, mm-hmm. but uh, especially in Hollywood and bodybuilding and gay porn, there's a lot of drug use involved in order to make our bodies a- achieve that. And, um, it's, um, it's something that I think uh, it does trouble me, uh, just on a personal level. I don't, I'm not here to judge what other people do or, or whatever, but I think uh, there is a value in all the bodies. And, um, you know, some people may challenge it and they'll say, oh, well, you know, you're writing about superheroes and these guys are, you know, they have these chiseled, your main character has a chiseled look and whatever. Um, yeah, but you know, those that, people also can jump over buildings in a single bound and shoot x-rays <laughs> out their eyes. You're not advocating that as well. Exactly, exactly. And uh, there is, um, it's not political, but I try to um, at least illustrate elements in the books where there's appreciation for all expressions of the human body. And that means short, tall, fat, thin. Um, and I don't even have the word normal for it. It's just what is a human body, the way the morphology expresses itself that that should be valued and um i see there's a little bit of kind of a reaction going on now too with the whole like cub bear sort of situation mm-hmm. uh but i still think we're leaving out people who are just maybe yeah. smaller or have a body that just is looks healthy but it doesn't you know sort of go to the extreme um i, I think it'll swing you know back around they're they're all they're cycles generally and um uh, I, I do hope we just, you know, can appreciate everybody because uh, the the obsession with uh, musculature and size, it's awesome, it's hot, you know, it, yeah, I, I, I know. think it's hot, but it's all so temporary. We, you know, it's a it's a tiny window in our lives that we get to look like that usually, mm-hmm. even with the drugs, and then, then it goes away. We become old people, and it, we just cannot look that way again. And uh, I think reconciling that and just being okay with it. Uh, will allows people to just appreciate any kind of body oh yeah i mean a big problem with it is i mean i know it's very cliche to blame the media but the media really distorts um what is just possible and normal to look like i mean you see all these magazines with um like get abs in six weeks (laughs) you can't do that nope 
And these cover models, they're either, they don't look like that all the time, or if they do, they're either on steroids or snorting cocaine to keep their weight at that unnatural, unnaturally low level. And there's this real big distortion where I find a lot of people don't actually realise just how unrealistic what they think is achievable is compared to the real life. That's that's what I I wish um, there was just better knowledge out there for people because most people get tricked. You know, I think human human nature predisposes us by being human we, we sort of go i want that and i want that now and like it's mm. almost you you believe in the sorcery of it like oh I can, I can look i can look chiseled and have the eight pack or whatever in two months according to this piece of marketing and, and when um, you don't you blame yourself because it must be you that's the problem because everyone else can seemingly do it right and you internalize it which yes. can be very dangerous yeah it, it's horrible um mm. you know i i think um in my own personal experience, I, I grew up as a, I gained weight as a teenager. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't always a fat kid, but I, as a teenager, I gained a, a lot of weight. I wasn't clinically obese, but I gained enough where I just didn't feel great about myself. <clears throat> and then um, through my 20s and 30s, things changed, got into lots of running, marathoning, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I made some, some great strides uh, lately. In the past five years, I've really, as, as you know, I've gotten a lot more into the barbell and uh-huh. uh, powerlifting training, et cetera. And what's really interesting about that is, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a smoker. I, I don't drink very much. I mean, I, I enjoy like drinking socially. Um, I really don't eat sweets and things like that. I, I really, I take good care of myself. I get lots of sleep. Uh, but at my age, I just turned 41. Uh-huh. You know, I have a lot of muscle mass. Things are good. But mm-hmm. I, if you were to look at my body the way it is, it is probably kind of maxed out at how good it can look uh, without the drugs because I don't, I don't take yeah. any drugs or steroids. Um, and when you look at that and you try to compare it to what they put out there for you in a movie like, let's say, with Brad Pitt or if you look at a bodybuilding magazine for people in who are 41 or in that age range – they're showing you something completely different that I think uh, between Photoshop and drugs, uh, I, you know, I cannot achieve that. And so, um, like you said, if I was a not very clever person, I would internalize things and say, I fucked up or I have bad genes or um, I didn't put in my work to, you know, to, to look the way I want to look. But in reality, um, you know, I am not a um, professional athlete. Uh, I, I train a lot. I eat well. And this is really good for me, and I need to just embrace that. You know, I get nice compliments from people on how I look, but I don't have to look perfect. You know, this 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 uh, obsession yeah. with perfection uh, is only leads to like sad places. So uh, it's an interesting um, point, you know, and it always springs out of the talking about the books too, because you know the characters in the book obsess about these superhero bodies. Well, yeah, I mean. Something I notice sexually, especially with fetishes, is we often internalize a lot of um, societal metaphors or archetypes or Mm. symbolism and really base our sexuality around that, especially in the fetish community like leather. Again, it goes back to that whole macho, masculine thing. Yes. We 
a lot of it is using symbols of masculinity like the leather biker jacket the police boots mustache uniform mustache facial hair police boots and yes musculature it's seen as you know the more muscular you are the more manly you must be mm-hmm. and that in a purely sexual like roleplay context can be fun to indulge in it's just being aware that that is a fantasy yeah, it's all a fantasy. I, I think that's kind of um, that's a great way of putting it. Um, not to get too philosophical here, but kind of all these expressions of what's going on physically with our bodies and how we look to other people and how we look to ourselves, it is one giant illusion. And um, not to say that we shouldn't care about what we look like, but uh, there's things that are of deeper concern yeah. or that are far more valuable than just a hard set of man tits you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> uh, which are amazing i mean like from the sexual side i i i'm there all the way like these things are super hot there's preferences i have certain kind of bodies mm-hmm. i prefer that's all good but um you know then when you look at a real world context for example uh play partners you know in the kink community i do have a range of different uh play partners people i like Tall, tall dudes, skinny dudes, mm-hmm. not so in great shape dudes and muscular dudes. Um, but you know what my requirement is? Don't be an asshole because those people could be beautiful and look like a professional bodybuilder. But if there's not much going on there uh, in terms of character um, or something that we're going to connect with, I'm not interested in playing. I'm, compl- I'm completely with you. There is no bigger turnoff than a bad attitude. It just fundamentally is repulsive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and so uh, yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing. And I, you know, I in my life I never imagined I would have to um, discuss these issues. I guess in these uh, internet places, it's it's wonderful. I'm very grateful um, because it. Well, I didn't think I would do it, but now that I'm doing it, I'm I'm very grateful because it it allows me to kind of look deep at myself and. Um, reconcile things that i have ideas that i've had for a long time and um even though i post pictures of myself in lycra on uh, instagram it doesn't mean that i think i look amazing or anything like that there's a playfulness that's there where i'm sort of like here's some of my imperfections i'm wearing some skin tight clothes they feel kind of good um but that's not all there's to it you know this is just a sort of fleeting image well I think you look quite good in them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, yeah. Um, you know, depending on the angle and lighting, yeah, it works. <laughs> uh, and it feels very good. Okay. Um, well, I think uh, this has been a very good interview, and I think we're going to leave it there for now. Um, is there the Lycra any... finish. Oh, yes. Oh, I'll edit what I just said. Out. Hey, everybody. Yes. Yeah. Um, we, well, yes. we talked about the agenda before uh, before. We... Yeah. <laughs> We sat down to talk, and uh, I do want to at least mention some of that. Uh, cause it's yeah, sure. Let's yeah. go into that. So um, what is it about Lycra as a material that can really drive a fetish? <clears throat> well, uh, I'm going to speak from a personal place. That's the best mm-hmm. way to describe the stuff, and then people can see if they connect to that. Um, you know, as part of a... Uh, of a community of fetishes. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Leather is super hot. It's amazing. I have 
own pieces of leather. I've gotten into it. It's mm -hmm. great. However, there's a generational change that's going on out here. Uh, many of us, uh, I'm considered Generation X, uh, but there's a lot of millennials that listen to this, etc. <clears throat> we came of age at, at a time when there were different things on television pulling us towards these images. So for maybe like the earlier part where the leather look was was big you know that comes out of like military uniforms from world war ii uh it comes out of the biker look from the 50s uh and it, when we get into 60s 70s then it it manifests itself as the leather man right yeah and there's something else that happens there is the invention of <laughs> uh a material right uh lycra spandex um you guys can google the history of it um but it's very synthetic um, it's it can be dyed in crazy colors and it is shiny uh, in a way that leather is kind of shiny or latex is shiny but it's a special mm -hmm. kind of shine and it is so form-fitting so skin tight when it emerges I think there's a, like a kind of a a coming into its own in the 80s uh, with the Olympics uh, pro wrestling um, superheroes uh, on on television uh, mm -hmm. etc uh, even uh, even music videos, so, some some fashion stuff, you know, involved like biker shorts. Um, I, that's where I started seeing some of these images, and for me, it was it's a fetish that goes deeper than just the leather. Uh, latex would also be there. I think latex is super hot, but lycra, you know, it is it is the closest we can get to in many cases to achieving that look of the classic superhero that you know we saw in the comics. Yeah, but for which... me, it's just delicious. Yeah, I mean, for now, that look of the classic superhero is nearly impossible just because it's not material. It's pretty much painted on. Yeah. You can't get any material that will go instantly into those grooves. Yet. I'm hoping science will provide. <laughs> I think that would be nice. Uh, but yeah. but the, the thing in the real world that makes Lycra interesting is that it can be a little bit more forgiving. Because uh, if we were to achieve the looks of the comic book heroes, the body fat level on a person would have to be so low, it's like bodybuilder sort of look. Yeah, uh, pre-contest, which is yeah. very unhealthy for those talking, of you who don't know. Yeah, very unhealthy. We're talking like 5% body fat. Yeah. And um, when you wear the Lycra, it, because of the way it catches and reflects light and how it adheres to the body, mm -hmm. you can see a good hint of that musculature but it's not as defined, like you said. You're you're correct. You can't get that deep into the grooves. Uh, I've seen many people painted as superheroes at fetish events uh, and kink sort of things and goofy Halloween stuff. I'm just gonna tell you, they look horrible. There's I have a certain kind of taste <laughs> for superhero <laughs> imagery. Like you'll see it in my Tumblr and sort of things I like. Um, it never looks right. When you just paint somebody's body, it just looks like you just painted them with a marker or with some... Yeah, it uh, doesn't... It doesn't look right. I mean, I'm a little more forgiving. I don't like it when they paint their bodies, but I'm very f a bit more forgiving when they use the liquid latex. I like that, because it's like... I find that very good. Yeah, and th that comes pretty close. But uh, as a fetish, you know, it's a wonderful material. It, mm -hmm. it does really well in terms of um, play. You know, if you use it in scenes, it's very washable. Uh, it's terrible. Uh, and I don't mean T-E-R-R-I-B-L-E. -R -R -E. mm -hmm. It's terrible as in if you're in a scene where you want to have yourself or your sub, you want to rip off their costume, as long as you're willing to, you know, deal with the expense of replacing it, 
you can do that and you cannot do that with leather or rubber so easily so it lends itself to some really interesting role play that's closer to again like very strong power dynamics uh domination comic book play and uh it's just awesome. I mean, it's for my fetish stuff, it's most of what I own. And um, as people can see on Instagram and Tumblr, it's most of what I post. I mean, I definitely think that has something to do with the rise of it with um, later generations is the cost. It's pretty much one of the cheapest fetishes to get into, yes. costume-wise. It's, I mean, leather is insanely expensive. Then you have rubber, which is a bit more affordable, but still quite expensive. And then you can just go to your local sports outlet store and get tons and tons and tons of Lycra shorts, tights, <laughs> compression tops, under armor. Mm-hmm. And for, um, I'm not a vegan, uh, but for vegans out there, um, latex and uh, spandex, they're great fetishes because yeah. they, they don't involve uh, the use of animal products. Yeah. And they all fit into that um, thing along with leather and latex, which is it forms a second skin. It's, uh, again, the very form, you can feel it all over your body, and it is a second skin. To Yeah, and it's amazing. And mm-hmm. with Lycra, it, the sweat is very visible on it because mm-hmm. it's uh, non-permeable. Yeah, yeah, it's permeable. Yeah. So you can see the sweat stains, and some people don't like that, but some people do, and... Uh, it is fun, so it, you know you you can have your choice, but um, yeah, it is a very easy entry point. You can find it anywhere, and it's uh, also if you have it in your house and you're, let's say you uh, have roommates, or let's say you still live at home and you're not out of, out of the closet yet, uh, to own lycra and use it for sports and things like that. That means you can have a fetish item in your house that no one's gonna sort of discover and embarrass you with. Um, so that's kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So very I encourage useful. people to buy lots of lycra. Go for it. <laughs> Yes. My personal favorite is white lycra because A, it can be quite see- a little bit see-through and then you can get it wet and it just yeah, that's becomes it. fully see-through and it's brilliant to look at. Yeah, that, In my it's opinion. very hot. Uh, completely, completely. <laughs> it's, uh, it's bold and it accentuates curves in a bigger way because of the mm-hmm. color. It's just so, so white. Um, so yeah, that's fun. I... I'm always partial, again, to black and blue, but uh, red lycra, I have a really cool um, full body suit. It goes up to the neck. That's uh, cherry red, and that, oh, wow. that feels really good, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you gave Roland a very unique suit that kind of combines spandex and latex in a lot of ways and <laughs> quite a lot of other things. Should Should I spoil what, the, what that is? Can I describe it? I think I should. Uh... Yeah, let's go into it. Because, you know, we're assuming that your listeners have made it down to the, the last bits of the hour. So here's another spoiler, everybody. Yeah. So if, you, if you're ready, hit pause on your podcast right now, then go <laughs> download the book, read it, and then come back. Mm-hmm. But uh, Roland's suit, uh, first of all, he has access through the story by meeting other fetishes and whatever, uh, you know, to get into step into yeah. some lycra items and they have some play however because of his superpowers because of this occult book that gives him um these changes uh he is able to uh spin on his own suit onto his skin it literally like flows onto him like kind of like a liquid and um it is a mixture of uh, i would say three things just like you said it is spandexy because it catches light and it's very reflective uh, and thin uh, it's also like rubber um, in the sense that it's sort of uh, 
non-permeable. Uh, it's used in some scenes to sort of save his life, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then additionally, um, just so the listeners can understand what it looks like, it has some of the properties of mercury, liquid mercury. Um, the way that, you know, you might've seen from a thermometer, it's, it's like liquid metal, not quite like the silver surfer, a little bit, has a little bit more color in it. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's it interesting. It's described as sort of a grayish, bluish sort yeah. of. Yeah. And it's, and to me, in my mind, in my imagination, it is sort of like maximum fetish <laughs> wear, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like it's, it's something that is not possible in the real world to achieve. Uh, I'm not even sure if Hollywood could achieve that look. Maybe they would. But uh, when you read through it in the book, you go, wow, that would be like the coolest thing that you could put on your body. And he doesn't have to even step into it. It just flows onto his skin. So, I mean, this, again, this goes right back to what you said about um, when you was in the Chicago library. You are transported to places where you can't normally go. Yeah. Ah, and it's brilliant. Now, you don't sell Roland... Oh, one more thing. Sure. Uh, now, it evolved a bit in um, book two. Will we see a further evolution of the suit in book three? It's a really great question. Uh, again, this one's not so much of a spoiler because people who have read books yeah. one and two will understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, Roland's suit, or his ability to have a look, mm -hmm. a, 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 an extension of his body that is uh, powered by the, the this magic... Um, just like a lot of things in life changes over time. So mm -hmm. it, it, the way you see it in book one is different in book two. And yes, in book three, uh, there's a further evolution of it. And um, that to me, um, I want people to make sure they understand this is not the symbiote <laughs> from uh, Spider-Man. It's not Venom, which is in those comics, it, the symbiote is the actual suit and it's a, a being onto itself. Uh, this is not the case uh, in the books, um, my books. Uh, the suit is much more of an extension of Roland's body and consciousness. And so uh, it, it tends to look different and it's informed by different things. It's not informed by alien technology or outer space. Uh, it comes from other deeper places that are more natural. So when you read it, you'll sort of get a sense of like, oh, that resembles like this sort of thing. And it resembles that. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it comes from, from that place, from himself. Cool. Now, your web store doesn't sell Rowan's costume, but it does sell a fair few spandex items, so mainly the singlets I'm talking about. Yeah, um, well, uh, we don't sell Rowan's suit yet, um, <laughs> and we I don't think we'll ever be able to truly sell the skin suit, uh, which is the, the classic suit that he this magical yeah um, but he has other looks in the book series that i've always wanted to be able to sell in the store um and and usually they're in reference to some of the characters that he grew up with reading like the fighter and arachnus all these yeah. characters um so i am working on one day being able to sell those suits in the store because i get a lot of questions from people in the community asking me oh where's a good qual high quality place to buy a, a full body spandex suit that i can use for kink play um i send them to all the vendors we have a a blog post where we recommend our favorite ones but uh one day uh, we're working towards that to, to offer uh one or two high quality suits that people can you know get their uh superhero fetish uh, starter pack going you know uh so we do that but in the short term um last year we started rolling out um uh, rusting singlets because those are mm -hmm. really great to wear at fetish events they're great for a sex um, type of scene. They're great in bondage scenes because there's easy access to the cock um, and they look good. They're 
shiny spandex. And we, uh, up until recently, we offered, uh, it was 11 different models. We've sold out of pretty much all of them. <clears throat> and uh, that's because we had limited stock and we actually have a couple of new models that are rolling out this fall. Oh, but, brilliant. Yeah, but um, we still have two, some of our best sellers. One is the, uh, it's called the White Pyramid, which has the cover of book one on the front. And then we also have the Pup Singlet. That's one of our best selling singlets. I'm not uh, surprised. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I wanted to mention it here on the show. I know you're going to uh, add it to the show notes too. Uh-huh. But um, for people who use the uh, coupon code Kinky Boys, um, they you will get 15% off uh, your whole order, no matter what you get in the store. You'll get 15% off, and uh, it doesn't include shipping. But we do ship to the UK if you have UK listeners. Uh, we ship all over the world. Mm-hmm. And um, right now we offer uh, two of those singlets. We have uh, one of our T-shirts. We have bondage rope, which is made by Bastard Ropes uh, here in New York. And, uh, you know, we always update the store with new stuff, but uh, our designs don't live forever. Like I said, we have limited stock, and we like to keep them sort of exclusive. So if you guys listening, if you own some of those singlets from last year, we're not going to make those again. Uh, so just hold on to them because they're a collector's item Ooh, very interesting well i mean i personally will be waiting for when you bring out a cup singlet hint hint (laughs) if i can put in a suggestion do that well the the thing that would have to happen um is we'd have to find out how they intersect with the books uh the pup singlet is has been on there because uh book three actually has pups and so uh i i I like to roll out merchandise that is directly connected to the books we even give names to the singlets that are directly from the books so uh let me think about the cub thing because i have not written book four yet but um but that could be fun because the images would be Mm -hmm. pretty amazing um but yeah check out check out all the the uh the merchandise, it's at howtokillasuperhero.net. And like I said, this code is just for your listeners, kinky boys, just one word. Uh, put that in at the checkout, and uh, that's that code is good for a while. So you guys just go and put that in there, and uh, you know that's an exclusive for your listeners. Wonderful. So yeah, I'll put that in the show notes so everyone can see, and I highly recommend you go check it out. It's great quality stock, and they're brilliant-looking designs. Thank you. And they're very high quality um, singlets. They're actually um, made for competition for powerlifting meets. So uh, they're not just sort of fashion items. They're actually very functional. And uh, if you are a powerlifter and you're listening, um, double check with your league to make sure that they allow that singlet mm-hmm. for competition. But it's it's uh, it's sanctioned for most uh, leagues in the U.S. anyway. So uh, it's a great powerlifting singlet. And uh like I said, you know, we don't have all the designs there up there now, uh, but we have new ones, and uh, the new ones will be interesting because they'll actually be a little kinkier than the rest that we've done before. So stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, it's been a pleasure having you. I mean, you've been a very eloquent guest, and I've learned so much from talking to you. Well, thank you. I um, I always love chatting with you online. I know we have kind of a <laughs> friendship uh, that goes across the ocean with the internet, but uh, hearing your voice is really amazing, and I'm glad you could pull out all this info about the books from me because, uh, uh, you know, I, I just I just want to say this again. I get such wonderful feedback from, especially kind of younger um, readers, 
And, um, and I think it's a generational thing. They, they literally tell me, they say, you know, I don't always relate to the Leatherman kind of stuff. And your book pulls in these, these fetishes that really connect more with me. And I think that's the generational uh, transition that we're in. You know, there's, it's just expanding more. And I think uh, superhero fetish fits, you know, right there in the, the piece of pie. You know, it's, it's yeah, in the big, we're sort of going through, thanks to the internet and interconnectivity, a big Cambrian explosion of fetishes. Yeah, there, there's more than I can count lately. I mean, uh, if there's a hamburger fetishist in the in the crowd, please send me a tweet. I want to know more about hamburger fetish. I don't I don't know if I have it, but hamburgers are fucking delicious. Well, it is rule thirty four of the internet. If you can mention it, there's a fetish for it. <laughs> awesome! I cannot wait to uh, find out more about it. Cool. And I hope to have you on the show again soon, sometime. You can have me on anytime you want. Um, Book or no book, I can talk about any sort of kinky, filthy stuff. Brilliant. I'll hold you to that. <laughs> yeah. And books. Um, you know, anything book related. Um, despite ebooks and all of that, which I've fully embraced, I, they're, they're amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the book is not dead. Everyone's still reading everybody. So uh, I'm really glad that uh, on the internet I can meet with more readers and talk to them. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's not. Ebooks are convenient, but. There's something about the physical thing of holding a book, which I books can't be replaced by their electronic counterpart, in in my opinion. Not at all, not at all. And the, the last thing I'll add is um, one thing that's different about the rollout of uh, book three is we're actually going to have that available on Kindle first uh, for the first time. We usually oh, right. uh, release them both on the same day, mm-hmm. but we're actually going to have a tiny gap between Kindle and uh, the printed book because. Um, like to your point people really love the printed book for the series and so uh, we're working really hard on the cover for that but it's going to make the production time a little longer so you'll get the kindle version first and then um, the paperback will follow soon after cool I I really look forward to it <laughs> awesome well thank you so much okay. you're a pleasure to talk to me thank you it's been a pleasure having you on and to our listeners good night Hi folks, Craig here. Just wanted to say, if you wish to write in to give us um, opinions, feedback, or even show suggestions, you can email us at kinkboyspodcast at gmail.com. That's kinkboyspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook at facebook forward slash kinkyboyspodcast. And we have a Twitter at kinkyboyspod. You can reach us at any of these, and we're very welcoming for any feedback, suggestions, or show ideas. If you wish to appear on the show talking about a very particular fetish you may have, please feel free to write in.